and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs. I am Andrew's younger daughter and on today's show I'm very excited to be talking about my dad's opera Far From the Madding Crowd with libretto written by my mum Cynthia Downs. The opera was premiered as part of the Thomas Hardy Society Festival in 2006. This was a real family and friends affair with me being so lucky to have the opportunity to play the role of Bathsheba Everdeen and fixing the other singers, and my sister Anna Downs fixing and leading her orchestra, the Central England Ensemble. My husband David Trippett was the musical director, and Anna's husband Mike Price was in the chorus. For the premiere, we had a magical couple of weeks staying together on a caravan site near Dorchester to rehearse. I have caught up with as many people as possible who were involved and will begin by passing over to the composer Andrew Downs. He explains why he wrote the opera in the first place. I've always been drawn to the novels and poetry of Thomas Hardy and indeed I've set many of his poems as song cycles. I saw this commission from the Hardy Society as an opportunity to set one of the great Wessex novels as an opera. My wife Cynthia prepared a wonderful libretto using only Hardy's dialogue and managing to reduce this enormous text so that the final opera lasts exactly two hours. I'm always inspired by the wonderful descriptions of landscapes and characters in Hardy's literature and I always do some research into the prevailing modes and idioms of the folk music of wherever I am. In this case, the Lydian and Dorian modes dominate the folk music of Dorset. We're now going to hear from Duncan Honeybourne, a great family friend and a huge champion of my dad's music. Duncan played a huge role in getting this opera staged, and my dad wrote a piano part especially for Duncan. Something that came into discussion very early in my friendship and working relationship with Andrew Downs was Andrew's love of Thomas Hardy's writing and Thomas Hardy's poetry. Because Hardy came from Dorset, as I do, and he'd written extensively about the places and the people of Wessex, it was something that we should naturally talk about. And Andrew had always loved Hardy's work. He'd set some of Hardy's poems as one of his very first works, his song cycle Casterbridge Fair, and there'd been later song cycles and other influences as well. So when Andrew came to write me a piano sonata, his thoughts turned again to Dorset and he wanted to use a Hardy poem as a basis for the inspiration. And again, in the way that Hardy tends to do, it had this tie-up with human behaviour, particularly the darker side of human nature and human relationships. But it was set against the backdrop of a Dorset landscape, which is how Hardy so often does it. And this whole sort of association, this, this beautiful landscape and some of the harsher, harder, less forgiving elements of human nature. Anyway, this led to all sorts of discussions and in the conversation I distinctly remember, I vividly remember Andrew saying to me one day, I've always wanted to write an opera of Tess, the hardy novel Tess of the D'Urbervilles. And so our friendship being what it is, we then went on to talk about how this might 
happen. And uh, I was racking my brains to try to think how I could maybe, you know, use some of my local knowledge and contacts in Dorset to make it work and to make it work as a local project. And one of the first things I did was contacted some of the members of the Hardy Society and other local contacts. And we set up a meeting. We all had lunch together. This must have been back in about 2002, I think, and came up with the idea that it could just possibly work as a project, a very ambitious and potentially costly project, as part of the Thomas Hardy International Festival, which they have every few years. And so, boosted by this, Andrew looked further into the whole thing. We punctuated all these discussions with meals out in some wonderful Dorset pubs, which we always enjoyed doing. I remember the Brace of Pheasants at Plush was the home of quite a few discussions on the, the basis of all this. Anyway, the next thing that happened was we all discovered, or somebody discovered, that there had indeed been an opera written of Tess, and Andrew thought, actually, hang on, I'm not going to to go over this territory again, I'll do Far From the Madding Crowd instead. So very early on, Andrew's interest shifted to that novel. And as he thought about it, I think he felt it almost offered more scope, was almost a better bet for what he wanted to do with the dramatic narrative and some of the music. So this extracted a suggestion, a tangible suggestion, that if an opera were written and if it were not to be too costly, they would love to put it on as part of the Thomas Hardy Festival. But of course, course funding was and is always the issue in these things. So Andrew and Cynthia being the wonderfully proactive artists that they are formulated a plan how to make this artistic ideal work beautifully but without it pricing itself out of the market and not only did they and Anna and Paula and the Central England Ensemble and various other friends and colleagues all rally around and offer the possibility of a staged production of this which wasn't going to cost the earth using homegrown talent using contacts using friends and funding it so that costs could be kept down and it could be afforded by the Thomas Hardy Festival and that's what they did and and an amazingly enriching and exhilarating experience the whole thing was. I think that uh, the people from the Thomas Hardy Society couldn't quite envisage people having the energy and the dynamism that the Downs team actually showed. I think they were surprised the whole thing came off and came off in the hugely successful way that it did because the enormity of the task just seemed so vast. You know, someone writing this opera, someone writing the libretto, which Cynthia did, and then being able to put together the orchestra, the soloists, and mount it as a production and have the entire cast caravanning in Dorset for two weeks, rehearsing, putting it together and then performing it with that not costing the society as much as they thought it would have done was, you know, a hugely courageous and massive task, which very few people would have been able to do. And, you know, one couldn't quite imagine how it would happen. But if anyone could pull it off, the Downs team could and did. And enormous successfully and it remains one of the great musical experiences of my life. I'm not an opera expert, I've not worked in the field of opera, it's not my field, but it was an incredible task to act as repetiteur for that production. It's the only time
time I've ever really done that seriously. It was very, very interesting. There was a wonderful camaraderie to the whole thing. You know, everyone in this caravan park for two weeks near where I live. So I was at home, but everyone else came in. I remember going around Tesco's in Dorchester with Andrew and Cynthia, buying enough food to equip the entire caravan site. And everyone who was involved, all the singers, all the soloists, all the orchestra. And it was just a wonderfully special experience, the like of which I doubt I'll see again, because I don't think it happens very often. And uh, the music, of course, was fabulous, very, very touching and idiomatically set. And the story of Far From The Madding Crowd, very dramatic, very poignant. And Andrew captured all that as one felt he would, because he's the kind of composer who can create that magic. And we had a lovely team of soloists. So I was very privileged to be involved, very, very privileged to have the role that I did in the project. And just behind the scenes as well in facilitating it all and brokering things locally in Dorset. It was tremendous fun. It made a lot of friends and musically it was tremendously enriching and I played in the orchestra for the production itself which again was lovely to be involved and yes that magic symbiosis of Downs and Hardy has been explored quite a lot. The song cycle Old Love's Domain which Julian Pike and I gave at Dorchester Museum during the same Hardy Festival as a sort of tie-up of Downs and Hardy, along with a Finzi song cycle, Finzi being another composer who felt an immediate kinship with Hardy's rather dark world of emotion and nuance, and that was a lovely little, little adjunct. So yes, 15 years later, the memories are still very, very bright, and I'm, you know, profoundly grateful for having had a part in it all, and uh, we'll always remember it very fondly. Before I play the overture to the opera, I'm now going to introduce you to my sister Anna Downs, who fixed the orchestra. Hi, I'm Anna Downs, Andrew Downs' older daughter. I'm also the founder, leader and manager of Central England Ensemble, the orchestra that was used to perform in the opera. What a wonderful experience it was for us all. We had such a huge amount of fun. I personally went down for the whole two-week period because at the time I had a young baby who was five months old, Oscar, and he's now 15 years old, can you believe? And for that first week, my job was to drive myself sister about the big star Paula Downs and uh, drive her to her rehearsals before the orchestra arrived and we started rehearsing the second week. It really was such a wonderful experience. The music and of course the words and the whole thing were just really vibrant and unique and original. We had huge amount of musical satisfaction from this project. We were all friends, we all made new friendships, we had great musical experiences in such a fantastic venue and where we stayed was just stunning. For me, as a new mother, it was an interesting experience in that, you know, taking your baby away from home and working at the same time. It had its challenges, but we all adapted. And just a big shout out to one of the musician's husbands, Dave. He looked after Oscar when Mike and I were involved in rehearsing or performing. And he was an absolute star. So I do want to say thanks to Dave. And of course, thanks to my wonderful dad for writing such amazing music. The prelude of the opera begins with a trumpet solo. So we're now going to hear from the trumpeter, Mark Wolvo. 
My name is Mark Walslow and I played trumpet in the first performance of Far From The Madding Crowd, the opera by Andrew Downs. I got involved in the opera because I was at the time playing with the Central England Ensemble and several of us got asked to play in the chamber orchestra to accompany the opera. The highlight for me for that week was really getting to play Andrew's very lyrical trumpet writing. The opera began, as I seem to recall, with a really beautiful and sombre melody just played by the trumpet and I really rather enjoy playing that. So Andrew, thank you for having me be involved in the opera. It was a real Pleasure.
Here are some thoughts on the music from musical director David Trippett. Andrew is very specific in some of his rhythmic details. So this can be the practice of, for instance, writing out staccato notes as the precise half value rather than placing a staccato note at an articulation sign above the note head. And also for the grouping of unusual numbers of notes within a single beat. So this could be septuplets, 13, 15, 17, 19 notes within a single beat. So this actually involved a process of sometimes working these out quite mathematically. I remember doing that with the flautist for part of the prelude, which was quite interesting. But what always happened is once you got it, it felt right and it stayed. I mean, there was an instinctive sense that you know, this music makes sense. And when it's inside you and you feel it and you learn and you play it through several times, it never goes away. And now to my mum, Cynthia Downs, definitely the biggest driving force behind this production. As my dad's publisher and librettist, she devoted many hours to the creation of this work well before rehearsals began. She then worked on logistics, accommodation and rehearsal schedules and she spent many months searching for props and costumes. She played the viola in the orchestra, filled in for chorus members during rehearsals, organised the box office in front of house and basically held the whole thing together. Andrew chose Far From The Madding Crowd because it was Hardy's only novel which had a happy ending. I went through the novel and chose lines to form the libretto. Thomas Hardy's own words were so beautiful that I realised they had to be used. My job became one of choosing which ones to leave out. Andrew again set the words to perfection and created an absolutely beautiful work. We booked a caravan site for the cast and crew for two weeks to rehearse and perform the three premiere performances. In the winter before the opera, I happened to play in the orchestra for a production of Fiddler on the Roof. I was extremely taken with the costumes, which I thought would be perfect for our opera, so I asked to be introduced to the wardrobe mistress, Anne Nation. I asked if she would be interested in being hired to take charge of our costumes. She was very excited at the prospect, loved Thomas Hardy, lived on a farm and could provide a real sheep's fleece and other brilliant props. Anne was used to productions and was a godsend to us as we were totally inexperienced. She gave us all the advice and support we needed. She also kept the cast and crew amused with her humour. Anne Nation wrote this account of the event. Being asked to oversee costumes for the production was a real thrill. I had always loved Thomas Hardy novels and with my agricultural connections it seemed a project made to enjoy. I was made so welcome by Andrew and Cynthia. The cast were a real pleasure to work with and I thoroughly enjoyed making and sourcing the costumes. The time spent in Dorset was amazing meeting the remaining cast and seeing the whole event come together and the costumes fit was so rewarding. My overriding memory of the production is one of fun and enjoyment. Andrew's wry humour made me see the funny side of any problem and he and Cynthia were always generous with their support. I hope that everyone who took part enjoyed it as much. Some lovely memories. Anne Nation became our director for our second production in Wensbury. For our first production, the director was Abigail Cave Bigley, 
who I knew from my days teaching at South Hampstead High School for Girls, where I was a music teacher and she was an English and drama teacher. Now back to my mum. Andrew and I busied ourselves collecting other props during the months leading up to the production. The Birmingham Canal shop, with its beautifully painted jugs and lamps, provided just the style we needed. I made all the scores and parts and sent them out quite a long time before the two weeks in Dorset. We were delighted at the first run-through that everyone had learnt their music really well. The singers came for two weeks, the orchestra came for the second week. I played viola in the production and had quite a few solos being the only one on my part. My brother Tim, who had lots of experience in theatrical performances, offered to do our lighting. He said he just needed a summary of each scene and the mood required and then he and his wife Rue would do the rest with the portable lights from his school. Our director spotted Tim's five-year-old daughter Eve and quickly choreographed a human pyramid with Eve climbing to the top for one of the first scenes of the opera which was beautifully lit just in time for the first performance. It was certainly a family affair for us. Our four-month-old number one grandson, Oscar, Anna and Mike's son, was also present. He slept in the wings during the performances, watched over by Mike and the cast while they were waiting to go on. Even though no stone had been left unturned in the organisation of this production, disaster struck a few days before the first rehearsal when our original Gabriel Oak dropped out. To find an excellent singer who looked the part and who could learn the role at this extremely short notice was an incredibly tall order. But the planets aligned and we were so, so lucky that Duncan happened to know Jonathan Pugsley. It was quite a surreal week for me because uh, <laughs> my link was Duncan Honeybourne. Bizarre because we're the same sort of age and he lived in Weymouth and I lived just outside Dorchester so we sort of knew of each other growing up but our paths didn't really cross because we were different schools and then we met we did a couple of recitals together he had a recital series in Weymouth and after I got back from Manchester studying he asked me to do a couple of recitals for him that was the first time we'd worked together really and then I think about six months later your dad's project was happening and then because somebody dropped out didn't they in the last minute and so uh, I got a phone call from Duncan about half an hour later I was having a coffee with your dad in Dorchester and being thrust to score and very happily. I had four days before the rehearsal started, so it was some rapid learning. So it was all Duncan Honeybourne's fault. Well, we were so lucky and so grateful <laughs> to find you. <laughs> uh, it sort of just landed on my lap. I saw my English teacher a couple of years later and she said, God, you know, you'd look very much like a Gabriel Oak kind of person. And I said, well, funny you should mention it. <laughs> It felt very much like a glove that fitted vocally and characteristically, and uh, I loved the part. It was a really fun thing to do. So is it quite a high baritone role then? No, I wasn't a high baritone at all at the time. No, I would say Daniel was the high baritone part. I would say mine was more of a bass baritone, which was more what I was singing back then. I was doing Leparello and all that sort of roles. Vocally, it, you know, it was so lyrically written and it was just beautiful to sing. I really enjoyed it. Can you recount any memories you have other than the fact that you were thrust into this at short notice. <laughs> I just remember the good thing about it being last minute is that you know I had to learn it and I particularly remember David just being amazing at any time there was a break we were like right 
<laughs> let's teach you the storm scene. Let's do it again. And so by the time we actually got there, remarkably, I felt like I did really know it. Everybody was just really supportive. One of my favourite memories was the Abbey. The director hadn't been told that I was a last minute. It was all sort of a bit of a whirlwind. I just remember the first rehearsal. I think they were doing something musically in the church and we went out into the garden a bit outside the church and just did a bit of rehearsal. And I just remember her saying, um, we just blocked a scene. I'd just been reading the score and she said, um, I don't know how to say this. Is there any chance um, that you could act? <laughs> and I was like, I'm really sorry. I've literally just been given this scene. <laughs> I will know it in about a day's mm-hmm. time. But right now, um, just bear with me. And, uh, <laughs> it's just a really funny moment. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah, because I must say your acting was amazing. I felt very comfortable with you on the stage. There was no sense of you not being able to act. <laughs> Once I knew I could act. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, he was just such a lovely character, wasn't he? I have to say, being from Dorchester, I even went to the Thomas Hardy School. I had never read it. And so it was amazing to be immersed in that for that period and go, God, this is actually a really amazing story and so beautiful. It's quite nice. You can watch TV adaptations afterwards and go, oh, God, I know all this dialogue. And your mum had done the libretto, hadn't she? Yeah, that's funny. I had the opposite experience. I had quite a lot of time in America to just read the book. And I then searched for every possible adaptation I could find. It was fantastic. And Harvard Library had so many resources. Uh, really? Great. The Thomas Hardy Society, they lent me, a, I know it must have been a DVD rather than a VHF, of the famous Judy Christie version. So I got to quickly get it in my head. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And the costumes, they fitted you perfectly. Yeah, that was lucky, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Were you nervous before the performances, seeing as it was so new to you? Or had you had enough rehearsal? I felt like we were so immersed in it. I've done a couple of these things where, obviously, very different musically, but I had to do Cosi Fantuto with three days' notice as well. So I've been relatively used to just jumping in. And I think it's one of those really weird experiences, like, I don't know, Big Brother or something, where you're just thrown into something. The rest of the world ceases to exist for, (laughs) for that period of time. And so I got so immersed in it. But I've never been one to get terribly nervous. David had so well prepared me for it. So there were those corners. I specifically remember the storm musically. That was tricky. I felt well prepared, which I was enormously grateful for. Yeah, I mean, there was no sense of you being nervous at all. You seemed very sure of it all. It was amazing coming back to it the year later, actually, and just it really came back to me. That makes you realise how well I felt I knew. I always felt that you were incredibly solid in it. I've always responded to characters in a piece almost as much as the music and you know he just felt so familiar to me if I watch an adaptation of it now you know the music comes back to me because it's so one thing the memory is very intertwined yeah I feel the same thoroughly enjoyed it it's a very happy memory for me oh that's lovely yeah same for me yeah you saved the day massively (laughs) here is the opening scene of the opera with Jonathan Pugsley as Gabriel Oak Scene one is entitled Outside Bathsheba's Aunt's Cottage. Gabriel Oak has fallen in love with Bathsheba and has come to ask her to become his wife. i 
Schnell von der Lied reißt down the flue. Du warst Vater mit
you want to hear more from John Pugsley, he's now called John Vallander and he is actually now a tenor. The next person to enter the stage is Bathsheba's aunt. Scene two, at the front door of the cottage. Gabriel puts his proposal to Bathsheba's aunt. Yes, shepherd, what can I do for you? Will you tell Miss Everdeen that I should be glad to speak to her? She is only a visitor here. If you will wait a minute, Bathsheba will be in. I was going to ask her if she'd like to be married. Oh, were you indeed? Yes, because if she would, I should be very glad to marry her. Do you know if she's got any other young men hanging about her at all? Yes, bless you, ever so many young men. You see, a shepherd, she's so good-looking and an excellent scholar. She was going to be a governess once, but she thought a little too wild. Not that a young man. The role of Bathsheba's aunt was played by Emma Rothman. I met Emma on an opera diploma course I did at Birkbeck College, London University, from 2004 to 5. I was very impressed with her strong voice and acting abilities in the various scenes we performed in together. Here are Emma's memories. I remember you and Ali losing your crap when somebody put a doll in the funeral casket. Oh wow, I'd forgotten all about that. I can't remember who put it in there. That is what I'm trying to remember. But things were quite tense and we were at the end of rehearsals and people were getting a little stressed and you were working really hard and somebody who was not working as hard decided to wind you guys up. And Ali had her back to the audience, I think. So she was fine and she didn't have any lines. <laughs> performance or was it in a rehearsal no no it was a rehearsal but it was in <laughs> like an end rehearsal it was a run-through or a sound check it was something sort of where everyone's a little bit tense and a little wow i totally forgotten all about that that was fun i liked that obviously blanked that one out <laughs> <laughs> John Pugsley taught me to knit that Ooh. was when I started knitting I also remember John because he jumped in for the role and he was always singing incredibly beautifully and lyrically and then you talk to him sort of in the wings as it were sort of the side of the church and he's like I don't remember any of the music I'm going sort of line to line I've literally learned all of this in two days and then you sort of see him working and it's just this glorious lyrical sound um, yeah that was pretty amazing that he learned that so fast yeah and he was just so calm about it not just personally but like vocally just it didn't show at all in what he was doing that's kind of yeah slightly yeah. my hero yeah, i remember sitting outside the trailer park with simon and daniel making beautiful food and sort of having morning breakfast and being incredibly civilized in sort of the deck or something am i right about this i think they had quite a posh caravan in comparison with ours that might be it i remember going over there and sort of having salads with raspberry coolie over the top or something. Yeah, 
out and they were being quite sort of glamorous and having quite a nice life. Did you enjoy playing the role of the aunt? I did. It was great fun. I remember that I was quite sassy and that your mum liked a spin that I put. She wrote the libretto. I hit the shepherd of Shepherd Oak really hard one time with like disdain. And she came up to me afterwards and she was like, I didn't even read it like that. It's so interesting when you guys put it on YouTube recently. I hadn't even heard it. I don't even know if I'd heard it. Hadn't you? No, I don't think I'd ever listened to it. I did it before I did any official training. So I did Birkbeck with Mary. And then I listened to the recording and I was struck by how much I loved the music still. Like at the time, I'm going to show my naivety, but I didn't really even register the music that much. I was just given something to learn and I turned up and I learned it and I did it. And then I sort of came back to listening to it and sort of hearing what a very successful chamber opera it is and kind of how it's sort of pastoral it's got that British pastoral sound in it without being twee the kind of percussive element and the rhythmic elements and the use of the small orchestra how did you find it vocally it suited probably still would suit my voice perfectly yeah that's something I noticed from the dvd on a very sort of small diva track in my brain I'm looking at that casting that you gave me how old was I it's like 23 24 yeah pre-college pre-everything that came after in terms of changing Fach and sort of discovering that I extend up to a D sharp at the top and all this kind of stuff ah. um yeah but it's not where my voice should be I mean it, it stays there it's fine it's great but actually looking at that, one of the things looking at the DVD was I was singing well at that point. Yeah. And I was kind of singing what I should be singing, how I should be singing it. You know, it is that sort of low lyrical, low mezzo, high contralto, simple lines, tons of drama, tons of text, supporting role, holding the stage for someone else to do their work with attention and grace terms, you know, all that kind of stuff that you go through college and you have to try all these different things in order to see what you can do and to test your limits and to see what, in my case, what the top D is useful for. And coming like from where I am now and what I'm employed for professionally now, it's literally that stuff. And vocally, just really lyrical, really nice. I thought you were perfect. It sounded beautiful. And as I say, the acting was amazing. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for that. You gave me Simon and you gave me Kate. And it was amazing fun. We will hear Emma sing again in just a moment after I have introduced you to Simon Walton, who played the role of Sergeant Troy. I knew Simon as a teaching colleague. I was working as a music teacher at South Hampstead High School for Girls and Simon was a music teacher at University College School and we did various joint concerts together. I first heard Simon sing in A Messiah we were both asked to sing the solos in with a local choral society. I was very impressed with Simon's singing and thought he would make a perfect Sergeant Troy. It was a lovely time, I have to say. I mean, it was nice, of course, to be in Dorchester. The fact that we all lived 
all together with the orchestra, with your dad, of course, and your mum, who wrote the libretto, it felt very organic. All the people were lovely. I'm still very much in touch with Emma Rothman, for what it's worth, who's living in Germany and um, singing there. And I just remember having a really, really terrific time staying in those sort of cabins, exploring the music. See, we got sent the scores in advance and worked on them. And then David repetitored it through with us, as I remember, for a period. I can't remember how long. And that was good. And we were just kind of a smallish group singing together and getting to know each other. I didn't know Daniel before John. I knew you a bit, but I suppose I didn't know anybody else at all. So I don't know how many other people really did know each other, but people got on very well. And we just seemed to kind of want to get this project on stage. I remember working in the church and the logistics of the chorus, obviously, you know, with the financial implications of putting on an opera, which are incredibly expensive for normal opera companies it was amazing that you know your family could call and your sister led the orchestra course and the chorus came from friends and people who I think lived near your parents again they were really entering into the spirit of it which was all very nice so that's I suppose how it all came together and then we did sort of bits of staging in the church it was exciting when the orchestra came I just remember it's a kind of really lovely period obviously it's a fabulous story and it's always nice to create a role it was on my CV as you know Simon Walton created the role in Andrew Downs opera Far from Madding Crowd you know and to work with the people who wrote the libretto and the music to see exactly what they wanted to make of it Did you enjoy playing that role? I did I suppose for me I mean it's a great part it's one of those really standard opera things where the tenor sort of gets the girl and is the heroic lead and I suppose speaking personally I was probably the oldest member of the cast I think vocally it all worked extremely well but I was a little bit fatter than I am now didn't go so well in the red costume and of course Daniel playing Boldwood was I suppose early 20s at that point and sort of tall and good looking and there was I suppose the dashing sergeant hero figure typical of opera it always happened you know the short fat Harry Tenor always gets the girl you weren't short and fat honestly You really weren't. Well, that's what it felt like compared to the rest of the young, dashing cast that everybody else was. Because I suppose most of the other people were your friends, so more of your age, whereas we knew each other through work. I mean, it's a great role. It's unusual, I suppose, for the tenor to be sort of the dashing hero, but also the villain of the piece. I mean, he's a nasty piece of work and treats, you know, Fanny Robin particularly badly, obviously. And I felt very cruel against Kate. She said she absolutely loved doing those scenes with you. She thought you were absolutely fantastic as a uh, The role of Fanny Robin was played by Kate Hopkins. I knew Kate from when she sang with my then-boyfriend, our musical director David Trippett, in King's Voices at Cambridge University, but I got to know her really well, singing next to her in Philharmonia Voices under Andras Schiff in Bach's B Minor Mass at the Royal Festival Hall London in 2003. She then told me about the opera diploma course at Birkbeck College, London University, and we did the course together. She also then sang in a one to a part Britain Ceremony of Carols and Downs Ballads for Christmas concert that I organised in Hampstead, London in 2004. And I just loved the creamy tone of her voice. I thought she was perfect for the role of Fanny Robin. That someone had tried to write an opera on a Thomas Hardy novel. I was really impressed with that because there certainly haven't been any big scale ones. I don't think it's been something that's really been done much. And I was really impressed with how Andrew and Cynthia managed to get the whole novel into a two and a half hour opera. I think it's about two hours plus the interval because Hardy is quite dense and there's an awful lot happens. 
And so I think it was really ingenious to be able to do that. It was very impressive that Andrew decided to set a book that was so well known and so loved. And it was lovely that it was done at the Thomas Hardy Festival in Dorchester. I thought it was really nice having it done in Hardy's hometown. Um, what do I remember about the show? It was enormous fun, a group of really, really talented people. One thing I remember musically very well is John singing that lovely prelude at the start and just being very, very soulful and beautiful. And then the very contrasting scene between Gabriel and Bathsheba, which was Paula together and um, it being very playful. I remember all the dancers, which I think some of them actually used traditional English folk melodies. They were really memorable and catchy. Really nice group of people working together and a lot of talent among the performers. Particularly impressive. A lot of people obviously weren't full-time singers. John was, but a lot of the others, Simon and Dan, were teachers. Emma was still teaching, who did Bathsheba's aunt, was still teaching at the time. And then there was that nice sense also, as you must have got with the operas of Benjamin Britten, of having a group of you know, music-loving amateurs who were working alongside semi-pros. And I thought that was really, really nice. There was a nice sense of community about it. And it was a very happy time putting it together. I think we were lucky having glorious weather the first time through in Dorset in particular. And I thought just the whole way that people worked together was very, very good. There was a good team spirit. People got very involved in their characters. Good sense of humour. I remember a lot of laughter in rehearsals that was really, really nice. And yes, people got very involved in the whole show, I think. So it was very moving being involved and very talented group. I remember Simon as Troy, particularly that wonderful, almost Wagnerian tenor voice. And it was very, very affecting. Yeah, it was just a really, really interesting in the way Andrew had written for the different voices and good fun and very worthwhile being in. I felt it was a real privilege in my particular scenes working with an artist who was as good as Simon and hope we did something reasonably moving together. But it was terrific and he was really lovely singer to work with and a very generous colleague. And it was really exciting and good fun. And it was nice that we got a chance to meet and have that whole reunion with exactly the same cast up in Wednesbury the next year. And again, there was a real feel of community and the fact it was Andrew's home area then must have been very special for him so it was a really impressive achievement and very good fun for a lot of people and I think it made a lot of nice friendships were made during it too which is a good thing about music did you find it upsetting to play the role of Fanny Robin not really because I mean it's an upsetting story but a lot of upsetting things happen in opera and in life and I enjoyed the fact there was a lot of drama to it mm -hmm. I enjoyed playing someone who was probably quite different to me and I thought the scene with Troy was it was nice that because sometimes people do cut the Fanny Robin part back and actually on abridged versions of the story when it's read on audio tape and things when I had it on audio tape as a child they cut back a lot of the Troy and Fanny Robin scenes I thought it was interesting Andrew decided to keep most of them in and it was an interesting counterbalance to Bathsheba because the characters were so different so I didn't find it upsetting as much as interesting and yes it's a very moving story. I found your scene very moving particularly recently when I watched the DVD again because I don't know if I actually watched it all the way through originally mm. whereas I did recently and I 
because yeah. I wasn't involved in your scenes, I didn't necessarily see them. Of course, because we never sang together, did we? Apart from when I was one of the villagers in summer, I did some of the group scenes. Yeah, exactly. I had to change into being Laban Tall, had to be a trouser role for a couple of the scenes and just join the chorus. And that was fun too. Yeah, it must have been fun to be in the chorus. Those scenes were quite fun. <laughs> yes. Apart from there was that bit at Boldwood's party where we all had to just mime talking for ages until Troy turned up. And I think a couple of people got, Stuart got a few lines and a couple of the other men, but the women just had to mime for ages. That was a challenge thinking about what to say. I do remember that. Oh, really? And then when Troy came, it was just such a relief. Right, I can respond now. That was very dramatic, that bit. Dan played that tremendously well when he shot Troy. I remember with his head in his hands, just utter despair. Yeah, oh, it was brilliant. Very exciting to be part of an operatic premiere and it was lovely. And I think it gave some of us a chance to do things we might not have been able to do otherwise. And that was really, really very good. And Andrew was always a very, very warm, generous colleague. I will say that's another thing that was very important, that he was always really nice to all of us when we did what we did say he thought was good. And there was a sense that he really was very appreciative all the time and that was lovely because you don't always get that with composers it was very very good oh that's really nice i will now play act two scene four all saints church fanny has gone to the wrong church by mistake frank is furious at having been left waiting at the altar So that was Kate Hopkins playing the role of Fanny Robin with Simon Walton playing the role of Frank Troy. And we're going to hear from Simon again now. I thought that the music fitted your voice perfectly. Did it feel good? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, it seems like either you cast everyone really brilliantly or Andrew just had particular sort of voice types in mind. But I thought everyone's voice part really suited what they were doing. I mean, Kate had quite unforgiving high music, but that suited the kind of neurotic Fanny character. (laughs) And, you know, Jonathan had sort of rolling sort of mellifluous lines that suited the kind of calm nature of his character. So everything sort of worked very, very well. I mean, I have to say, I think the most beautiful moment of the whole piece. Actually, I'd like 
the thing that Jonathan does is at the beginning of Act Three, uh, the gallant Sergeant Troy went dirt-taking for pleasure. And that bit is just a lovely piece of music. But the trio, the female trio, when the coffin is opened, mm. I think is a beautiful piece of music. It was actually quite nice to kind of be in the wings and come on and mm-hmm. kind of sing some high notes at the kind of climax of that, because that was, that was a very moving scene, I think. But very rewarding to sing, I think. I thought you did that scene absolutely beautifully, actually. Well, Makes me cry you. every time I thank see you. that one. It is a very moving scene. And I'd say, I mean, the trio music before that is just stunning, I think. Mm. I think that that probably is my favourite bit of music in the entire piece. Here are some thoughts from our musical director, David Trippett, on this scene. There was quite a static staging of this. The singers were fairly still on stage. The tempo is very slow. And what tied everything together as a kind of red thread was just this singular tubular bell. It would be struck at uh, regular intervals and uh, was very characteristic. So you had this minimum of forces, but dramatically it was very effective. And for opera listeners, there's a great heritage of using this for funeral music. One thinks of Berlioz and the Symphonie Fantastique. And I think it had that kind of resonance. But cumulatively, throughout the whole scene, it builds and it builds, and this great sense of pathos and sympathy, I think, and sadness builds with it, which I think we all felt. This is Act 4, Scene 3. A few more days later, inside Bathsheba's house. Fanny has died. Joseph has brought her coffin from Casterbridge Union. Bathsheba says she should lie in her house until the funeral. Bathsheba finds out from Joseph the colour of Fanny's hair was golden and that she had a sweetheart very like Frank Troy. Once they are alone, Marianne tells Bathsheba that Fanny was with child. They open the coffin to find Fanny with the baby. They do not notice the arrival of Troy. Distraught, he tells Bathsheba that he is not morally hers. Bathsheba swoons as he leaves. I am playing the role of Bathsheba Everdeen. Simon Walton is playing the role of Frank Troy. Emma Rothman is playing the role of Bathsheba's aunt. Ali Hill is playing the role of Marianne. Stuart Pickford is playing the role of Joseph. Mr. Bowles sent me to carry the coffin 
you know, I could see it similarly, you know, a good amateur group being able to put it on. And I wonder in the same way that you get, you know, Marriage of Figaro or whatever, you know, in these projects reduced for much smaller ensemble. I wonder how much the character of the piece you could achieve with a kind of nine, ten piece ensemble possibly mm-hmm. and get the same colours. It's an interesting thought. Just thinking about the way that, you know, those kind of not quite tete-a-tete opera, but, you know, those smaller opera companies, they have two or three bits of set and they can almost put it on anywhere. They kind of take it to sort of churches or great big large halls that kind of people could put in concerts or you know country houses they've basically got a rug and a cart or something like that and a desk and that's the entire set and they can use it quite cleverly and a smaller group of instrumentalists or just piano and I think because it's not got the biggest cast no it's an interesting idea you could use it for educational projects exactly because there's uh, you know there's so much different stylish music in it as well and kind of compositional techniques the ostinatos the use of the rustic dances for example and chorus music and the ensemble music as well is really very nicely written from a teaching point of view to analyse I think. The music itself is very audience friendly so you can imagine people hearing both the rustic music and the beautiful music and the more complex music and so there's ostinato figures again thinking about that beginning of Act 3 that Gabriel Oak I think it's Act 3. I can imagine that therefore you know you get some reasonable pro soloists but they don't have to be outrageous the high female parts of the hardest mm. in many ways because they are quite challengingly high particularly with the diction. To get the words across when you're singing that high must be really quite hard. I think the music for all the other characters is really quite a lot easier both range wise. There was nothing in my part that went particularly high for example and I think the same is true I mean Gabriel has the most to sing but again it's very sympathetically written both in terms of getting over the orchestra from what I remember range wise it's not so tricky so as long as you've got two good sopranos to sing those two higher parts the chorus can be done easily by an amateur chorus or relatively easily by an amateur chorus and I can't think how hard the orchestra parts but in terms of the fact that we set it in a church the fact that it has that country feel about it I could see it's a very appealing piece it's a audience friendly piece and a very audience friendly story of course because it's a well-known story i could see it being taken up by people because for us it felt like a really community project partly i suppose going back to what i was saying before that we were living together you know there was a professional standard in all the solos obviously and in the orchestra before playing one of those rustic items that simon was talking about i will introduce you to some of the chorus members my name's kate kestin and i played the part of jan coggan in andrew's opera far from the madding crowd myself and my family were lucky enough to become involved in the opera through our friendship with the Downs family. I really enjoyed being part of such a fantastic project. It was certainly hard work, but a lot of fun too. My name is Lucy Pickford. I've known the Downs family for a long time, since I was nine years old, and was lucky enough to get involved with Far From The Madding Crowd from knowing the family and being involved in many music events and singing some of Andrew Downs's music in the past as part of the girls' choir. It was so enjoyable being part of the opera, meeting lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds who were involved. And I think I played a drunk and a maid, so I was part of the chorus, but it was very enjoyable. Katie and Lucy are sisters, and their parents, Margaret and Stuart Pickford, were also members of the chorus. Stuart was Joseph Poorgrass, who you heard at the beginning of the coffin scene. The Pickford family are great friends of the Downs family, having performed a lot together in Margaret's Hale Zowin Girls Choir. Margaret and Stuart wrote this email after the production. Dear Cynthia and Andrew, thank you so much for the two emails you have sent us today. What an amazing experience the last two weeks have been. We really do not want to come down to earth because normality is not so exciting. We have to accept, though, that we do need a rest, especially as one of us is an OAP. 
Imagine the headline in the Hale Zoe News, OAP makes operatic debut, certainly more interesting than the usual contents. Seriously though, we felt so privileged to have been part of this wonderfully inspired project and we cannot begin to thank you both enough for asking us to take part. Many, many congratulations to you both. Much love, Margaret and Stuart. Hello, my name is Matthew Price and I played Mark Clark in the chorus of Andrew Downs' operatic setting of Far From The Madding Crowd. I first met Andrew's daughter Paula at university and over those years I got to know Andrew, Cynthia and Anna from the very musical Downs family. It was there I first encountered some of Andrew's music also. Before Far From The Madding Crowd I'd done a lot of choral singing and had some experience acting but this was my first ever role within an opera. It was fortunate, probably, that I'd been involved in quite a bit of country dancing during my school years, meaning I was able to pick up the routines for those scenes quite quickly. I have very fond memories of the production, of Andrew's music naturally, of getting to know very many lovely people, of course, and even of adapting items in my wardrobe into clothing fit for Hardy's rustic vision. The music for those dances represents some of the most memorable moments of Andrew's score for me. It really captured the atmosphere of those rural scenes and the joy of the characters while their cares were banished from their minds. I also recall being backstage in some scenes listening to the principals singing over Andrew's lush orchestral accompaniment and being moved by wistful melodic lines and very beautiful harmonies. It was a special time in my life which I'll always remember. Hello, my name's Ben Sawyer. I was a member of the chorus in Far From The Madding Crowd in both the performances in 2006 and 2007. I play the character of Caney Ball and I seem to remember that this involved singing various parts. I was at one point part of an upper voice trio. I sing countertenor normally and at other points I was a pallbearer or I was a shepherd's assistant to Gabriel Oak and I worked with a little team of other singers who just, we just had a great time. It was a wonderful event, a wonderful production. We spent two weeks in the summer of 2007 six just kind of learning the piece together working through it as a team and then the following year it was great to bring it back to life for another performance in Birmingham closer to home. It was a really well-timed thing for me because it kind of came on my journey from being a semi-professional oboist to moving on to becoming a professional singer and now choral director. It was something that came as I'd been a member of the Central England Ensemble for a number of years during my time in Birmingham. I had been playing the orchestra and my girlfriend at the time was she was an oboist too and we were both invited as a kind of duo really as a singer and oboe player to be in that original production. Obviously times move on and things like that change but it was a really wonderful thing to be a part of and I still remember just the camaraderie and the friendship that we all shared over a wonderful two weeks in uh, Dorset and then for the latter performance in Birmingham. The thing that sticks with me is how evocative the music was or is and Andrew's writing is just so wonderful it really kind of paints the picture of the scene not just of the story itself but of the surroundings of everything that was going on in the story so it's just a fantastic piece and I was really privileged to be a part of it. Hi, my name's Mike Price and I played the part of a yokel in the chorus for Far From The Madding Crowd and my memories really were of how hot it was. <laughs> the first week of rehearsals I wasn't there so I came down for the second week and at the time we had a five-month-old baby, Oscar, who's now 15. <laughs> so we came down and it was 
such fun. It really was. We were, all the cast and crew were all staying on the same caravan site. So it was a bit like being on a really nice holiday, what with the weather as well. And the scenery is beautiful around Dorchester. I remember we went to the beach and we just had a really nice time. My parents came down to watch as well, which was nice. The whole thing from start to finish was just a really nice thing to be involved in. Even though, you know, my part wasn't that important, you were made to feel important. It was brilliant, a really, really good experience. And obviously a fantastic piece of work by Andrew Downs. And to be there for its premiere was an honour. All in all, unforgettable, really. Uh, still think about it now very fondly. Here is Act 4, Scene 1, Harvest Supper. So that was the chorus as well as Simon Walton playing the role of Frank Troy and me, Paula Downs, playing the role of Bathsheba Everdeen. And now let's move on to the orchestral players. My name is Detta Edwards and I played violin as part of the orchestra. At the time I was known as Detta Smith before I got married. I got involved in the opera through meeting the lovely Anna Downs, Andrew's daughter, at my very first Midland Youth Orchestra rehearsal where I joined the first violin section at 18 years old. Anna then kindly asked me to come and perform with her orchestra, the Central England Ensemble. I remember it being my first sort of proper gig as it were after graduating from Birmingham University studying music and it was so exciting the music was just fabulous and to actually be involved in the production I just felt so honoured to be asked and it's still one of my favourite musical highlights of my career I've now been teaching music for 14 years and I still look back very very fondly on that opera and just the absolute ball we had as well rehearsing and performing it was just so special and just absolutely fantastic to be part of. My name is JM my role in the opera Far From Madding Crowd was in the Tutti Cello section and I became involved as being a part of Central England Ensemble and I think the best memories that I have of the opera is the behind the scenes madness during rehearsals when we were actually down in Dorset and just walking around places like the caravan site and the campsite and just hearing people randomly singing lines and libretto from the opera itself which was really really funny and I think I loved that it. it was just a great community and everyone got on so well and we just had such a good time and it was just an amazing amazing experience. <laughs> 
Hi, my name is Alison Wakeley. I was the horn player in the first production. At the time, I was Alison Bache, as that's my maiden name, and I got involved as I played with Midland Youth Orchestra and then CBSO Youth Orchestra from about the time I was 16. And then I went to the conservatoire as well, so I stayed busy and active in the area of Birmingham, got to know the Downs family, got to know lots of the horn players and the orchestral players in Birmingham. So that's how I got involved. It's always fun preparing for a new work. It's slightly different to the standard repertoire because you can't just go away and listen to it. So I think for this one, I read the book so that I'd understand the plot. And I also remember getting my costume ready. I was at home with my parents and I think I was raiding their wardrobe, looking for a sort of a shirt that didn't look too modern or too fitted. I think we were supposed to be farmers or peasants and also trying to find a long billowing skirt. I think I ended up with a brown one with a sort of a fancy bit around the bottom. So that was good fun, slightly different, but always good fun. The week of the rehearsals and the productions was really enjoyable. I was staying in a caravan with two other members from the production and it was just really nice to spend time with like-minded people all working together towards this common goal of this new production. We were all just really up for it, all happy to be there, all enjoying ourselves and it was just a really, really, really good experience that stays in my memory and I can't quite believe it was so long ago. It seems like yesterday but it was incredibly back in 2006 which seems a very long time ago now. I remember after production had finished we were then sent copies of the DVD of the recording of the production Production. It's always really interesting to watch a production you've been in. As a musician, there are whole sections of it that you never actually get to see because you're too busy playing. So it's really interesting to see what was happening on stage rather than just trying to watch it out the corner of your eye. I must say I haven't watched it for a while. Perhaps this podcast will inspire me to get the DVD out and watch it again. The DVD is available at andrewdance.com and it is also on YouTube. My name is Lawrence Tew. I was the tuba player for the premiere performance of the opera down in Dorchester. If I remember correctly, I was asked to play for the opera by Anna Downs. I was a regular tuba player with Anna's Central England Ensemble at the time, but even so, as an amateur, it was a real honour to be asked to play in that little opera orchestra. As a member of Central England and as an alumni of the Birmingham School of Music, I was already quite familiar with Andrew's brass writing. Andrew often writes the tuba into the middle of the trombone texture rather than at the bottom, or he'll reinforce the horn section for a while. He always writes tuba parts with a really wide-ranging tessitura. I listened to the recording of the opera just a few days ago and I was really surprised how high some of those tuba passages were. I'm not sure I could play them today. I've played for the premiere performances of several of Andrew's works and I remember a few times when he's pointed out a particularly high or technical passage and said, I wrote that specially for you. I'd look at the music and think, I thought we were friends. Having recently listened back to the video recording after a few years, I was really impressed with the sound that the opera orchestra and the opera cast produced. We had some great musicians around the stands, and everybody looked so young. I remember we stayed in caravans a few miles away from the church. I think there were about six of us in the caravan that I shared, and that was the first time I'd really had a conversation with the brilliant Peter Marks. Although Peter didn't often play with Central England, we've always kept in touch, and I became a kind of unofficial member of Peter's own Eroica Orchestra, a chamber orchestra that sometimes tackles some more major works and needs a few heavy brass for support. I spent a lot of time with Patrick Hinks too, an excellent bassoonist that I've uh, played in with a few local orchestras over the years. I think it was sheer coincidence that on one of the days that the opera was being staged, another member of Central England Ensemble from our Bremen tour was getting married, just outside Dorchester. This was Sarah Gibson, another bassoonist who was about to become Mrs Smith. She was marrying composer and trumpeter Alan Smith, who'd been with Central England on the Paris tour. 
Alan and I had a brass quintet at the time uh, with other Central England players, Sarah Harper, Matt Kimber and David Bates. Alan and Sarah wanted the quintet to play for their wedding ceremony, so trumpeter Mark Wolfo, who was also part of the opera orchestra, depped for Alan during the service. I remember that Patrick was a bit concerned about the timings that day because there was an opera performance in the evening and he attended the wedding and reception in full Thomas Hardy village band costume. I should add that when the second performance of the opera was staged, I think it was in Hagley, I couldn't take part. I worked away from home a lot back then, so my partner Sally Middleton played tuba for those performances. My name is Patrick Hinks, and I played the bassoon and contrabassoon in the Central England Ensemble. I got involved in the opera because I was part of the orchestra, and probably because I had a contrabassoon. But I was asked if I'd play, and uh, I'm glad I did. Andrew's score was so fun to play, and what made the biggest impression on me, uh, what I liked the most, was how the music complemented the wide variety of actions and emotions on stage. Like a movie soundtrack. Memories. Ooh. Most of the week is a blur. It was like a fun working holiday. The rehearsals were intense, but after we'd go back to the caravan park and relax. We must have had some time off because several of us attended the wedding of an orchestra member who wasn't in the opera, which was taking place relatively close by. As I said, I played the bassoon and contrabassoon, both of which are at the base end of the woodwind section. The contrabassoon itself, straightened out, is 16 feet long. And it doesn't come apart, so its case is a bit cumbersome. I remember one of the days, the director saw me transporting all of my kit to the church. And upon seeing the case commented, Wow, that's a big one. Without missing a beat, I replied, Yeah, and I also have a contrabassoon. I'll never forget the look on her face or the stunned silence. Uh, in fact, some of the cast told me later that they had never seen her at a loss for words before. Hi, my name's John Wells and I play the trombone. Getting involved in Andrew's opera, Fathom Adding Crowd, was fantastic, really, because I like the story and also I'm a great fan of opera anyway, so playing in it was fantastic. I think it was really good to have a residential, so we all got to get involved and got to know it really, really well for the first performance, which is great. There's some great writing for trombone in it, some simple and effective writing for the coffin scene, which is really, really good, and also dramatic music as well. So I like the way that Andrew writes for a trombone and uses it as a melodic instrument as well so it was great fun to play and be involved in. My name is Annabelle Naitermo and I play oboe in the orchestra. At the time I was living in Birmingham and I was heavily involved with the Central England Ensemble led by Anna Downs and I got to know her quite well and she invited me to be part of this fantastic project. I spent a summer with wonderful people, staying in the most beautiful surroundings, and it'll be a memory that I treasure forever. My name is Katrina Moore, and I played first violin. I got involved with the opera because I was playing in Central England Ensemble with Anna Downs, and also New Anna and Paula from our days in Midland Youth Orchestra. Things that I particularly remember about the opera were, first of all, I remember there was a bit of a heat wave going on, so it was very, very hot, and we stayed in a holiday park just outside of Dorchester. I remember sharing a lodge with Julie Robertson and her family, and they were very welcoming to me. And, of course, the music, which was very characteristic of Andrew's composing and really enjoyable to play as part of the orchestra. Lots of variety from sort of quite dramatic music 
music to some folk style music as well and of course the beautiful voices of all the singers it was overall a really enjoyable experience and uh, something that i will never forget my name is julie robertson i play the cello with the central england ensemble and anna invited me to join the orchestra for far from the madding crowd i had already played and enjoyed some of andrew's music with cee and was delighted to be able to take part in the project my parents judith and bill were also involved Dad is a stage extra come scene shifter and mum helping with the refreshments and front of house. The opera contains many of the harmonies and rhythmic characteristics of Andrew's music. They're not always easy to play at first sight, particularly some unusual and frequently changing time signatures, but the music flows very intuitively once you understand the patterns. The weather was very hot that week. My usual experience of playing in churches is to wrap up warm, even in summer, but on this occasion it was lovely to step inside and into the cool. As well as rehearsing, we had some time to explore the town and local area, and I remember taking advantage of the countryside's lack of light pollution to learn a few new constellations. It was a very enjoyable and memorable week. It was a lovely opportunity to spend some time with my musician colleagues and get to know them better, as well as playing a part in staging a premiere. My favourite piece from the opera is On the Banks of Allen Water, which Bathsheba sings to the farm workers at the Harvest Supper. Paula's clear voice was just beautiful, soaring over the sparse accompaniment. Oh, thanks so much, Julie. That's one of my favourite moments as well. And here it is, The Banks of Allen Water.
My duet partner in that one was Mr Boldwood and he was played by Daniel Sumner. I met Dan through my husband David when we were all undergraduates at Cambridge. David used to accompany Dan singing quite a lot at university, so I got to know his voice well then, and I asked him to perform The Trumpet Shall Sound in a small-scale messiah I organised in Hampstead, London in 2003. At the time of the opera, Dan had recently got together with David's sister Liz, actually at mine and David's wedding. They are now married with two small children. My wife is the sister of Andrew's daughter's husband, (laughs) which is my connection with the family. So I'd known David at university for many years and then I married to David's sister. So that was my connection with the family. And from my point of view, the invitation had come completely out of the blue and I didn't know that Andrew was writing this opera. So it was a, a very pleasant surprise and exciting to be asked. Yeah, we were very lucky to have you. Did you enjoy playing the role of Mr Boldwood? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the whole project from beginning to end. It was, it was fascinating, it was enjoyable. Met some, some great people along the way and actually enjoyed the rehearsal process as much as the performances. Musically, I loved singing the role and I, I felt that it fitted, suited my voice very well and yeah. it was very, very, very comfortable to sing. I think the style was in a way very familiar to me because of my experience as a choral singer in that kind of Anglican tradition. There was something about the way that the part of Boldwood was written that seemed to resonate with a lot of Anglican chant that I was used to singing day in, day out. That's interesting. um, With its own obviously unique stylistic twist. But I have to say the acting was a real challenge and I think I grew into the role through the rehearsal process but it was way outside my comfort zone that's a good reason to have done it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I did but there were lots of particular challenges to the actual role which I wasn't really anticipating. What sort of challenges? My experience had been in choirs and singing solo in oratorio mm-hmm. and concerts and I'd done a fair number of opera arias and short scenes in concert but I never played a full role and I think for me stepping up on stage in quite a central role in the opera was a new challenge. I think Boldwood's a really complex character. He's very awkward. He's very awkward socially and he's very nervous and he's nervous around people and I think he's awkward in his own skin really. He doesn't know quite who he is and who he wants to be but he knows he's frustrated and I tried to get inside that character and feel what that would be like but one of the particular challenges of that was the age because quite a lot of Boldwood's frustration comes from him feeling like he is getting on in years and you know ironically I'm now 41 years old (laughs) which is exactly what Boldwood says at the beginning but he complains that he's been a confirmed bachelor all his adult life and I'm sort of sitting here thinking that's that's quite funny um But at the time, I was nowhere near 41 years old and I didn't understand that frustration and what would have led him to make the kind of decisions that he made and to have those kind of intense interactions with Bathsheba and then react in the way that he did when things went wrong later on in the story. So yeah, I think that was difficult because I couldn't really relate to the character and I tried to get myself into the role, but I think because of my relative lack of training and experience, that was all new territory. I have to say, I watched the DVD again recently and I thought you were brilliant. I thought you portrayed it just perfectly. Perfectly. You looked awkward in your skin and, you know, you clearly had really put a lot of effort into getting to that point. 
Thank you. I tried and I think I did grow into the role as the rehearsals went on. I probably felt better each performance but I'd like to think that whenever any of us step out on stage we get better in many ways and so I do feel like if I was to have the opportunity to play that role again I'd probably do it quite differently and probably feel more confident in it. I do think 41 is younger now isn't it than it was when that book was written <laughs> yeah it definitely is i don't know what he was talking about it's all 41 years old well you know what i mean you know yeah. it's like 60 or 50 would be now yeah, that's, that's true. And he definitely feels like his ship has sailed. He's in a really quite a dark place yeah. in the story. And I think another challenge was, again, just because of my own, I suppose, lack of knowledge and lack of experience, knowing quite what to do with it. But quite a lot of my acting was during instrumental scenes where I wasn't able to rely on what I was comfortable with, which was the singing. Um, and so, acting. yeah, and that's, of course, that's a feature of a lot of operas. But I felt much more confident and comfortable in what I was doing in scenes where I was directly interacting with another character. For example, the scene where I'm approaching the house and looking through the window was really difficult. And because also we didn't have an awful lot of props to rely on, did we? And these things, I mean, they're just crutches, but I felt like I was trying to work out what to do with myself, with my body, with my hands. So that was really interesting to explore different options and what that actually meant. And it was quite exposing mm, as, a, yeah. as a singer to yeah, totally. not to be able to sing at that point and to still be very, very visible on stage and each of the actions that we were doing were significant and you had the same thing where you were sitting at the table during long yeah. periods yeah. of instrumental work and a lot of it was face acting wasn't it mm. and expressions and glances and that was yeah, really interesting to get yeah. into it is and it's hard work as well I find it quite free in acting like that in an opera I did enjoy that and that learning process very much so it certainly made me want to do a lot more of it oh really yeah. oh that's really good so it's great living with the cast during that rehearsal it was intense but I'd never met most of the cast before and so making those friends was fabulous. I would recommend that to anyone to live with, hang out with, have meals with and a, a drink in the evening with your cast members who you're then working so intensely with during the week. I think, you know, compared to the way that a lot of people do prepare for a standard production, I think actually it, it did bring quite a lot to the experience. Yeah, it was a really special time, Yeah, I thought. Yeah, it's my first time staying in a static caravan. <laughs> um, and uh, my only time so far, but uh, I, I would do that again. I remember that moment that we all came off copy, you know, because we did a couple of rehearsals where... You know, we were able to sort of keep picking up the books and, yeah. you know, just giving ourselves that little bit of reassurance. And then there was that moment where we just thought, I've got to put these down and leave them alone. Mm. So that was nerve-wracking. But actually, linking back to something you said earlier, liberating. Yeah. Once you get over that initial fear. It felt like quite a short amount of time. I don't know if I sort of came in late to the project or, but, you know, it didn't feel like we had an awful lot of time to learn the piece. We had a MIDI score, didn't we? Yes, uh, that's MIDI right. recording. Yeah. I couldn't get on with that because that for me was so different from the way that the orchestra was sounding and was going to sound. So it was nice to have it as an option. I found I had to record my own voice singing it because it was the words that I needed to keep hearing. Yeah, yeah. And those weren't there where that's just kind of, ah. And it was lovely to get in there 
with the full orchestra yeah. and hear the score for the first time as it was intended. Quite a lot of cues and the counting it was a, a particular challenge of that piece because there was a lot of repetition, deliberately so, built into some of the instrumental section. And I think uh, where you had sort of 13 bars here to count and then 15 bars there to count and 17 bars there to count was all very well during rehearsal. And then you got into the role in the performance. <laughs> there was the audience. And I found myself once or twice getting a little bit carried away and thinking, oh, I'm enjoying this too much. I'm just listening to orchestra and I'm taking this in and now I need to sing I think now or maybe in a bit Um, but we had uh, we had had good direction and conducting so yeah I think that's a feature of my dad's music he often almost does a repeat but it's not quite a repeat yeah so often if I've been typesetting something I think oh great I can copy and paste this bit and then (laughs) I realize I can't and I, I remember, you know, the rehearsals, we worked really hard, but we also had some fun. And I really enjoyed the whole project and enjoyed coming back to do it that second time. Yeah, I was very grateful for the opportunity and learned a lot through the whole process and, you know, made some friends for life and got a taste of what it's like to do a full role on stage and kind of come out of my cathedral choir comfort zone. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, it was all very, very positive and yeah, happy memories. We'll now listen to Act 2, Scene 3. Mr Boldwood has become smitten with Bathsheba and asks for her hand in marriage. He is so insistent that she can only ask for time to think about it. I love you. I love you. 
wants you to let me say I love you again and again. I think and hope you care enough for me to listen to what I have to tell. If you can love me, say so,
Now that we are nearing the end of this episode, here are some more thoughts from our musical director, David Trippett. Thinking back to the memories of how the opera first came into being, I remember the caravan life in Dorset. It was very, very beautiful weather. And to outside eyes, it would have felt like a holiday. But there was a definite sense of mission. We were all there together. But, you know, it was a unique gathering of young musicians. And I think uh, there was a great sense of excitement because we were all involved in this process of discovery. This was an opera, Far From the Madding Crowd, that had never been performed. And actually, it was also the first setting of the book by Thomas Hardy. So it was an opportunity and there there was a buzz in the air. The performers were very aware of, I think, the responsibility uh, they had. But outside of the rehearsals, it was kind of like a holiday. (laughs) People would study the score. You'd hear practice going on inside the caravans. There'd be singers uh, letting down their hair after rehearsals, working things out. And I think it was overall a very positive experience, I think. One of the main aspects of this for me was working in such close proximity to the composer. Andrew is a very generous figure, and I think he's not a prescriptive composer, which is to say he gives the performers freedom. And I think he wants performers to give of their own skills and instincts, and in that way draw out the best from them rather than try to micromanage and so on. So he did give us a lot of freedom, and I really appreciated that. You know, we didn't sit down with the metronome or anything beforehand and go through precise tempos that had to be adhered to. Though, clearly, as we went along, I'd ask his advice, and he generously gave it, sometimes on matters of tempo, sometimes on balance, and so on. But it was a special relationship, I think, to be there, and just a privilege to be able to to ask the composer what he thought, uh, what he wanted. I think perhaps for him, too, it was surprising to hear it. In This was the first time it was performed by real instruments in a real space. And so I think for him, too, it was a process of discovery. Again, going back to my earlier point, it was great to be in this caravan site learning together and working out what this what this could be. Thinking about the musical details, what I remember becoming very aware of is that this was really a chamber opera. In a sense, the forces are very comparable to Britain's operas. You have kind of muscular sound. There's not that much doubling. It relies on individual performers a great deal and and their skills. It's good in the sense, I think, it challenges the individual players, and it did. But obviously, if individuals get their parts wrong or there's a misreading in the concert, it matters a lot. So the responsibility was heavy. But you end up with scenes like the storm scene where the whole orchestra is going at it and it creates a really large soundscape with a great percussive ostinato underneath. And I remember the percussionists working very hard, very dedicated. It's, in a way, a holistic total. I mean, it sounded far larger than the actual forces that went into it. other scenes, there was a real austere kind of minimum use of forces. Perhaps the best example of that would be the funeral scene of Fanny Robin. 
Music is characterized by a very modal form of melodic writing in virtually all parts. So you see it in the voices. You also find it in the orchestra. There are very few, uh, in fact, I can't think of any parts that are, are not conceived in a melodic idiom. And I think the chamber orchestration means that every part has a melodic function. And this counterpoint of parts is woven together. Certain traditional aspects were discernible. I mean, there's a accompanied recit, and that was quite a lot for the singers to memorize and to learn. But there was a very flexible approach to aria form. I would go as far as to say it really was a kind of arioso writing driven by Hardy's words, but always very efficient. One thing I do remember is that the music was very short. You'd be getting into a section, there'd be favorite moments, melodic peaks from Gabriel Oak or from the soprano, but then they'd stop and they wouldn't come back. So in a sense, there was no fat in the writing and you have to pay attention as you go through, otherwise you miss it. Thinking about what was life like as being musical director, above all, I think I had a sense of responsibility. I mean, this was a very famous English novel being set by a famous English composer, a student of Howells, no less. So there was a sense of English genealogy being put on show here. If we didn't get it right, then this English music suffers. So there was a real sense of mission and responsibility about making sure that this all would be the best that it possibly can be. But the flip side of that is that it was tremendous exciting with a sense of discovery. I think the singers enjoyed themselves in particular, really creating the roles and discovering how the parts would fit in their voices. I remember there was quite a blend of younger and older voices, and the contrast was very, very complementary, I think. There were also untrained voices, and so that contrast made for a sense of authenticity. I think about the community that was being portrayed, Hardy's England, the village scene, the town scene, which I think was very affecting, actually. David and I got married the summer before the premiere of the opera. My dad adapted the music of the very end of the opera for us to process out of the chapel at the end of our wedding. So to end this podcast episode, here is the end of the opera. There is a wedding procession of all the cast down the aisle from the back. As they each arrive at the front, they take their bows. Gabriel and Bathsheba in simple wedding outfits are the last in the procession. If you want to learn more about the opera, visit andrewdowns.com, where you can watch the full premiere on YouTube, purchase the DVD, CD, MP3 and WAV files, purchase the sheet music and also read the blog of Cynthia Downs. Here's long life and happiness to neighbour Oak and his comely bride. <laughs>